1: Hey, welcome to the show. I'm so excited. I've been waiting a while to share some of the news that uh, I'm gonna be sharing today. And it's so exciting that I can't even do it myself. I, uh, I had to bring a special guest on board. I have Stephen Kent joining me. He is a spokesman for Young Voices. And Stephen, welcome to the show. It's it's good to have you on board. Oh, nice to be with you, Brian. So uh, we've been working on something in the background. And and I know you, you talked about this on Joe Carey's show, last friday but today it's my turn to to do some tooting of the horn but uh, we have a marvelous little project that is going to launch tomorrow on the fed by ravens media network and you and young voices are a big part of this talk to me about uh, the moving forward with young voices show and podcast that uh, that we have put together
2: yeah, so moving forward from Young Voices is going to be a new weekly talk program where you're going to hear from the next generation of leading voices from the Liberty Movement who are trying to advance uh, the ideas of life, liberty, property, the pursuit of happiness, all those great things um, on a on a banner program here uh, with you, Brian. I'm I'm super excited about it because it's going to be a an injection of optimism um, and and forward looking. Um, attitudes from the next generation and it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: My listeners will, will probably appreciate I've had some terrific guests on over the last couple of years because of Young Voices. You and I first met, I think it was two years ago, at FeeCon in Atlanta. You know, for the Foundation yeah, for Economic right. Education. And, and since that time, you have been feeding me one good guest after another. And uh, I got to tell you, Stephen, I've always been super impressed. Um, not only are they, they very articulate, but they're very well studied. Whatever it is they're writing about, it's a wide variety of subjects. They're not one, one note symphonies. These young folks really know the various areas that they've studied. Um, Talk to me a little bit about the organization, Young Voices, how it got started, and and what the mission is behind that organization.
2: Yeah, so we're a nonprofit PR firm that is dedicated uh, to classical liberalism, and what we do is we go out and headhunt and find some of the best, uh, bright, young thinkers in policy, politics, and academia, all around the country, actually, really around the world, we we have a couple of folks we represent in Australia, and the UK, and at some points um, in our history, Africa as well. And we've just been dedicated to trying to find these really sharp young people who have, I think, like a certain amount of talent that they could really, really grow. Right? Like we're not looking for, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson when he was like 35 and he was already on TV every week. We're trying to find people who are at the beginning of their journey. And really add jet fuel to their career, and really take them to the next level. And that is partially uh, training, partially opportunities like connecting them with uh, legacy media and opportunities to go and write articles. It's just an opportunity for them to grow and figure out who they are, while also bringing their expertise to the table. Um, you know, we're not dealing with people who don't know what they're talking about. We are we are dealing with really sharp young academics and people who are studying policy and politics. Um, all around the world um, and they can bring really fresh insights to these debates uh, debates that are usually ruled by the really dogmatic professional class who they're just the supposed experts who have all these years of experience but they really are just adhering to whatever narratives um, and opinions they have about politics first facts second
1: yeah I, I have to say that one of the things I found most impressive about to all of the contributors from young voices with whom I've, I've spoken They have uh, restored my faith in the fact that young people get it there. You know, I look, I bought into it. Sometimes I bought into the idea. Oh, they're snowflakes. They need a haircut. They need to fly. You know, I I've been the old man yelling at clouds, you know, and, and but but the more I've talked with these young folks, I have been so impressed. And I realize we've got some people who are going to be capable of heavy lifting Should it be necessary, you know, for these as their generation gets older, when they're holding the reins of power, you've got some great minds that are going to be in positions to do so. And that that have the character as well as the the knowledge and wisdom that will be required to do that job
2: right right younger generations uh, millennials and gen z are not perfect we definitely have a couple of uh, generational quirks and problems ourselves but you know look at look at older generations and what they have laid out before us in terms of the uh, the state of the world we live in you know there's there's good and bad everywhere to be found uh, young people by and large and this is something i'm super excited about are just as optimistic and bullish on the american dream uh, as any generation that came before them there's sort of this idea that young people today are all socialists and all social justice warriors stepping around the streets of seattle and portland and that they all hate america and that's just not true. It's just this really, really small pocket of people with really loud megaphones and media allies to get their message out and make everybody think that this is what is normal. Uh, and it's just not. I was looking at a survey last week from the Walton Family Foundation and in Echelon Insights, uh, looking at how young people relate to the American dream. Uh, and four out of 10 believe that their world is going, I'm sorry, not four out of 10, six out of 10 believe that the world and this country is going to be better than it was for them, than it was for their parents and are excited about the idea of the American dream. The real question is, though, how do you define the American dream? And that breaks down very differently by generations and in ways that I think are exciting to to talk about.
1: Well, clearly they believe in freedom they believe in um all those things that make up classical liberalism which i'm going to ask you i'm going to put you on the spot here for a moment for those who hear that term some people hear liberal "Ah, liberal and they have the knee-jerk reaction but when when we talk classical liberalism that's actually a very positive thing for those who aren't familiar with it how would you describe it to them
2: right so these are the ideas um, that underpinned the Enlightenment and inspired the original founding of this country. Um, you might, you could pull a bunch of different people, um, whether it be John Stuart Mill, uh, John Locke, these are someone that I really adhere to. And these are the ideas that really inspire life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, um, and also originally in the, uh, the, the first text of, of the Declaration of Property, um, the idea that all of these things are really what make up the human experience, and government is there to protect those things. Now, to be liberal means to believe in the open society, freedom of speech, free exchange of goods, the freedom to chart your own life. Like, that is what it means to be liberal. And we've just gotten really locked in um, sort of against the idea, against the L word, right? Um, Because of the 80s and the 90s and really like the liberal Democrat, right? So you've had all these debates about like what liberalism meant to Hillary Clinton and what it meant to Al Gore. And I, I honestly, like me as a young person who has always been libertarian, I'm starting to look at the state of politics where you have parties on both sides trying to restrict everything from immigration in all forms to free speech to the exchange of ideas and even limiting limiting your ability to protect your own property um, you know by means of self-defense or ownership Um, and I'm going you know what I'm I'm more liberal than all of you I'm more liberal than you lefties out there um, who want to take away all of these things y'all aren't liberals and that's that's the thing Progressives are not liberals, and it's really important for all of you out there to understand that. Um, They are part of a different tradition today, the left, Um, and there's really nothing wrong and anti-American or unconservative about supporting the idea of what is considered to be classical liberalism.
1: I think one of the things that I've also found very refreshing about all of the contributors with whom I've spoken from Young Voices is not that I'm looking to pigeonhole anybody, but... I really can't sit there and pinpoint, ah, this one's a flaming progressive. This one's a hardcore right. conservative. I don't know where they stand on on politics. I know where they stand on certain principles, and their principles seem to line up very well with uh, you know, not forcing people. You know, it's, it's not left or right-flavored statism. They really seem to favor the free market and you know, um, free enterprise, freedom of conscience, and, and private property. And to me, it's like, oh, that's good.
2: What does uh, Matt Kibbe say? Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. right. Um, you know, young, young people, millennials and Gen Z in particular, are just really, really eclectic in their politics. They mix, mix and match very much from, from what you might consider to be Democrat or Republican positions based on what makes sense to their generation. And it's just a reminder to me every day that I get up and do this kind of work that the two-party system, the duopoly has gotten to be so extreme. These parties do not represent the vast majority of Americans. And young people are no different.
1: Something that I love, too, is the fact that they still have a sense of humor. And I'm not I'm not saying us older conservatives, you know, we, we, we forgot how to laugh somewhere along the way. And, uh, you know, the, the younger generation's very, uh, they're very adept at using social media. They're also very funny. So when I spend time on Twitter. Give me, give me
2: Twitter, the memes, Brian. <laughs> yes, they get, the,
1: they get the memes, and it's really fun. Okay, we got to take a quick break. Stephen Kent is my guest. We are talking about a brand new show that will launch tomorrow on the Fed by Ravens, Fed by Ravens Media Network. It's moving forward with Young Voices. We're going to be back to talk about it right after these messages.
0: This... Is the Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, once again, welcome back to the Brian Hyde Show. My guest is Stephen Kent with Young Voices, and we're talking about a wonderful collaboration that we are going to kick off. Tomorrow on the Fed by Ravens Media Network, you can go to fedbyravens.com. I just I spoke to uh, my partner Joe Carey earlier today, Stephen, and he tells me that uh, he has talked to the app developer, and our beta version of the app will be out this week. And when it's out, uh, yeah, we'll we'll have it. This will be right there at your cell phone, at your fingertips. Apple, Android, doesn't matter. We'll we'll get you taken care of. Well, I will be downloading that. I can't wait. So let's talk a little bit about the show. I, I want to I invite my listeners to check this out. Um, they, again, check it out at fedby, fedbyravensmedia.com. But when they tune in, what can they expect to hear as they tune in to moving yeah. forward with Young Voices?
2: Well, I mentioned it in our last segment, and I'll reiterate again that we at Young Voices are optimists you're going to be hearing on moving forward about the active threats to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness that are out there. They're very real. But you're also going to hear about human progress. You're going to hear about the ways that technology is shaping a better future for all of us, the way in which new forms of energy, like nuclear, could change the entire world if regulators and and the progressive movement will let it, you're going to hear about how cities are moving and the innovations that are going to change the way we work, where we work. Um, We're not going to be looking back too much on moving forward with young voices. We're going to be looking uh, to the days that are coming. Um, And we're going to be applying timeless principles that have set humanity free to how the future is going to be more free than it ever has been before. I'm excited for it, and uh, I think all of you will really enjoy it.
1: And I'm going to encourage our listeners, pay attention to the names of these individuals who we're going to be talking with. Um, of course, we'll have show notes in, in, the, in the podcast postings that will go up afterwards, but uh, these are individuals who right now are already uh, receiving you know big exposure. They're published in, in national yeah. publications.
2: Right, right. So your guests are going to be regularly in high tier published writers, commentators, policy experts from the Washington, D.C. area who are working um, outside of the establishment and trying to impact um, policy in a way that is positive. You're not going to be hearing from Republican strategists and Democratic strategists or what you might call flax or hacks you're going to be hearing from people who actually go to DC to work on tough issues and try to twist politicians arms into hearing them out on the answers to problems um, and these are people who they don't have a lot of power but they've got the they've got the goods they've got the facts they have the understanding of the issues and we're trying around the margins to make as much of a difference as uh, with their policy writing, with their academia, as we can.
1: Okay, this is this is very exciting. Again, it's it's something that uh, has been in the works for for some time. I'm just I'm very happy to be uh, tooting the horn today to let my listeners know, and our listeners on K Talk and on KDXU and and uh, KYAH and on the Loving Liberty media Loving Liberty Radio Network and other networks that uh, we are. Uh, we're expanding, you know, the, the platforms from which uh, truth can be spoken. And, and what a what an incredible asset to have uh, to, to be joining forces with young voices. Let's talk about information, Stephen, because uh, we live in a time where there's more information available to us than I think uh, most people would have ever thought possible, even within their lifetime. I mean, I think back as a kid, if I wanted to really bask in information, I would yeah. sit down with an encyclopedia and and read Now there's almost more than we can handle. How do we get good information? In your estimation, what to, what can a person do to make sure that they're getting good information from this blizzard that's going around us 24-7?
2: Well, there are a couple of practical things that you can do, and I'll circle back to those here at the end. But the first thing that I want to say is that you all have to recognize that in 2020, you live in an attention economy. Okay, The economy used to be driven by oil, and before that it was coal, before that it was cotton, and then sugar. Today, this entire operation, this entire world is being driven by seizing your attention. It's the whole data thing, right, with, with big tech and social media. People are vying for your attention, and they do not do it uh, based off a core set of principles and, and, and beliefs about what is good and, and what is bad. They're just doing whatever they can to get your attention, and that might be rallying you up with, uh, with hate clicks, trying to get you angry and scared as possible by whatever you're seeing in the news, and you need to recognize that this is happening. There was a story just the other week, actually, I'm sorry, the other month. This, um, this staffer from MSNBC uh, by the name of Ariana Pacari left MSNBC. With a scathing resignation letter, basically saying that while she was there, she had to put aside all of her journalistic principles that she had picked up when she was working in radio to create content that was completely driven by ratings. If it was not going to keep the ratings high for MSNBC, it was not going to run. And that guides. Every decision that they make on every single network. What will keep you watching? And it was usually the case that what makes you mad and what makes you scared is what makes those ratings stay up for these major networks. And you need to know that because <laughs> it affects everything that you see. Well, and this
1: explains why there are people, and I've, I've been one of these people at, the, at times. They get up in the morning, and the first thing they do is they check their phone or they check their laptop or their tablet to see what is it I should be mad about today. Because there are ready sources of information They have it all lined up. Okay, Brian, here you go. These are the outrages of the day. Here's how you should feel about it. Huh, your blood
2: pressure spiking. Good. Go out there and get them, tiger. Right, it's it's right. a really unhealthy way to live. This is how they're making all their money these days. The media, the media in particular, I am really excited about a couple of different trends in media that are breaking up the the establishment. Uh, podcasts are one of them. It's it's completely monopolized or <laughs> breaking down the monopoly uh, that the mainstream media has always had on the flow of information and talk. People like us having conversations with each other and reaching people all over the area uh, in Utah and. That is something that actually gives us more opportunity to hear different points of view and really discern what is true based off the evidence that were presented. I'm also really excited about the newsletter trend. Uh, There's this thing called Substack out there, and major journalists from legacy publications from the New York uh, Post to the New Yorker to the New York Times, a lot of New York as you can tell, are resigning their publications and leaving their cushy jobs at these establishment magazines to go write newsletters, where you just subscribe. And you get weekly updates from them on what is going on and what is important. What does that mean? It means that people don't trust the establishments that they worked for anymore. And they weren't earning their trust. But they trust people. They might trust that one particular journalist. They might trust Barry Weiss at the New York Times, formerly New York Times, but they don't trust the Times. And so you subscribe to Barry's content, and you follow Barry's reporting, and you subscribe to her newsletter because she has done the work and earned your trust. And that's really where this entire economy is going, and particularly the flow of information. Who do you trust? And are you willing to support them with your dollars so that they can keep doing that important work and earning your trust every single day? That's that's the major trend going on, and I'm excited about it.
1: We got to talk about this again sometime. Unfortunately, we're up against the clock. I would not be a good host if I didn't ask you to please plug your podcast Beltway Banthas. Tell us what it's about. We got about 30 <laughs> seconds here.
2: Yeah, I'm the host of the Beltway Banthas podcast. So if you like Star Wars and nerd culture, this is your place to hear people from, uh, from the media world, from Congress, from DC, the swamp, talk about their love of Star Wars. It's a really fun show. We break down the political science of a galaxy far, far away every week and it's good it is really i mean the insights are real you might think okay they're just talking about
1: no they're they're applying lessons learned and and it actually it fits it fits so much better than i ever would have dreamed
2: our next guest is david french of the dispatch and formerly national review he's going to be talking about his new book uh, on possible secession movements in the united states and we're going to be talking about that in the context of star wars and applying lessons thanks steven
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. Lines are open, 801-331-8113. I want to mention that our show is brought to you by great sponsors like uh, my friend John Staples and his lovely wife Heather at uh, the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. If you are looking to get pre-qualified, you're you're excited and ready to go out and shop for a home, first of all, congratulations. There there are very few things in the world more exciting than going out there and finding a place of your own. And and there's nothing like going out there pre-qualified knowing that you are already good to go up to this amount. And this is what uh, John and Heather can help you do with the help of Patriot Home Mortgage. Now, if you're looking to refinance your existing home mortgage, they can do that as well. If you're looking to buy a a new home, you know, if you're looking to actually land that uh, that loan, they can help you there. And best of all, Patriot Home Mortgage is operational in 23 different states. So the chances are very good that if you're within the sound of my voice, they can help you. Go to staplesmortgage.com that's all you need to put into your browser staplesmortgage.com it'll lead you right to the staples turner team at patriot home mortgage and when you talk to them please tell them thanks for sponsoring the program all right there is so much to cover here and i know i spend an exorbitant amount of time on COVID 19 it's like it's dominated this year right (laughs) have you noticed that no okay well maybe maybe it's just me But isn't it curious that the World Health Organization has quietly reversed course on lockdowns? This was published uh, earlier today on the Foundation for Economic Education's website. World Health Organization reverses course now advises against use of punishing lockdowns. This is from John Miltimore, who says, For months, an overwhelming majority of the planet's population has been subject to cruel and unnerving lockdowns. Businesses closed, travel restricted, social gatherings kept to a minimum. He says the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic have sunk our economies, kept loved ones apart, derailed funerals, made personal and economic liberty a casualty as much as our health. One report states it could cost us $82 trillion globally over the next five years, roughly the same as our yearly global GDP. Now, many of these initial lockdowns were justified by policy recommendations by the World Health Organization. So, I'm I'm glad that they're at least changing their tune and not just digging in and doubling down. Well, no, no, if we were right, we were always right. we will always be right. Apparently, the World Health Organization's Director General, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, writing in a strategy update in April, he was the one who called on nations, continue the lockdowns until the disease is under control. But now more than six months since lockdowns became a favored political tool of global governments, Now the World Health Organization is calling for their swift end. Dr. David Nabarro, the uh, WHO's special envoy on COVID-19, told Spectator UK's Andrew Neal last week, politicians have been wrong in using lockdowns as the primary control method to combat COVID-19. Nabarro said lockdowns have just one consequence that you must never, ever belittle, and that is making poor people an awful lot poorer. Dr. Michael Ryan, director of the Who's Health Emergency Program, offered a similar sentiment. Speaking at a briefing in Geneva, he said, what we want to try to avoid, and sometimes it's unavoidable and we accept that, but what we want to try and avoid is these massive lockdowns that are so punishing to communities, to society, to everything else. Now, you may be nodding your head going, well, of course, duh, you know, they finally get around to saying it. And John Miltimore points out, these are stunning statements from an organization that has been a key authority and moral voice responsible for handling the global response to the pandemic. Cues from the World Health Organization have underpinned each and every national and local lockdown, threatening to push 150 million people into poverty by the end of the year. And as Nabarro stated, the vast majority of the people harmed by these lockdowns have been the worse off. John Miltimore says we all know people who've lost their businesses, lost work, seen their life savings go up in smoke. That's especially true for those who work in the service and hospitality industries, which have been decimated by lockdown policies. And even as the World Health Organization calls on nations to refrain from imposing lockdowns, many governments continue to use this strategy. Schools in many U.S. states remain closed. Bars and restaurants are off limits. Large gatherings apart from social justice protests are condemned and shut down by force. Now, Miltimore says the effects of the prolonged lockdowns on young people are now becoming more clear. A recent study from Edinburgh University says keeping schools shut down will increase the number of deaths due to COVID-19. Added to that, the study says lockdowns prolong the epidemic, in some cases resulting in more deaths long term. If we want to avoid any more harm, John Miltimore says, then we should immediately end these disastrous policies. Any fresh calls to impose lockdowns should be viewed with the utmost skepticism. It's time for the madness to end, not only because the World Health Organization says so, but because our very lives depend on it. As the doctors and scientists stated in the Grand Barrington Declaration signed this month in Massachusetts, the physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies have themselves caused devastating effects on both short and long-term health. John Miltimore concludes by saying we cannot continue to risk our health and well-being in the short term by shutting in our economies and our people in the short term. We can't risk it in the long term by shutting our peoples and economy in in the short term. That's the only way forward if we seek to recover from the ruinous effects of government policy surrounding COVID-19. Now, I can imagine this is not going to be well received by some. I don't know what it is. I I, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. and, And so I'm more inclined to kind of chalk it up to fear. It's the fear that makes people so angry. It's the fear that would have good Christian people out there on the streets accosting and heckling and cursing and threatening people who aren't wearing a mask or aren't wearing the mask to uh, the the heckler's satisfaction. I don't understand what gets into people who that they feel justified in unleashing their little tyrant, but it's extremely disturbing And to the extent that you or I are are participating in that, whether you're making fun of people for wearing a mask or you're, uh, you know, heckling people for not wearing one, stop it. (laughs) That's not that's not how you should be. The funny thing is some of the nastiest behavior that I have seen online and I'm talking about when people are arguing back and forth and just calling names and you're a murderer and you want to kill grandma and stuff. It all seems to stem from, well, I believe the science You know, what do you believe? I don't know, a bowl of sheep entrails or some tea leaves or, you know, a handful of sticks that the witch woman threw on the floor and then interpreted for me? I don't think it's quite that cut and dried. But to hear some people talk, you'd think it was. All right, let's open up the phones. 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show.
3: Let's open up the phones. Yeah, I I think the thing that really gets me agitated is watching this for the last several decades of paying these people. They're on my payroll. They're on your payroll, Brian. And they just like are lying right to our faces caught in scandal after scandal. The president just debunked the whole COVID thing. He debunked it. They were gonna bury bodies in Central Park, remember?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
3: And and, and, and you know, I think like I said, these people are just wasting our time and our tax dollars, and they want you to shut down, but yet they still want to collect a paycheck.
1: That the has been that has been one of the things that's irritated me the most as well, Rob, is, is the idea that the people who were telling us just suck it up and do as you're told, put on the mask, stay inside, stay away from people, they're the people who are still getting a paycheck regardless because uh, the system will pilfer it from the taxpayers to make sure they're not missing a meal.
3: Yeah, the, uh, their, their paycheck keeps coming. And that's the thing that really irks me. Like I was talking earlier on Joe's show, give everybody a million dollars. do will wrap up a pallet of money and send it overseas to anybody. Make it nice and clean. But you know what? Try to get those people to pay the interest on the loan to print that money. That's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, no, it's, I, I hear you.
3: It's ludicrous, man. We need to start the movement now. I think every capital in this nation needs to be filled up before this election with conservatives conservatives need to go up there show their faces and start pounding on the doors and tell these people enough is enough i want i want
1: to believe conservatives are the answer here rob but we have a we have what people tell me is a conservative governor in my home state of utah and and he's been buying into this malarkey all along he's continuing you know the the same uh, tired old policies
3: well you know not only conservatives but Democrats as well, or or just I mean, I, I think I'm going to become a Democrat. I'm going b- to become a Democrat for the American people.
1: How about how about people be- who are just problem solvers? No party yeah, required.
3: I, well, that's a problem solver. I mean, just I mean, we're, we're wasting all this money being overseas, spending money, sending people over there. Why not we just focus on our country?
1: I, I like what yeah. I'm hearing. Rob, thank you. Have a have a great one. Yeah, it's uh, when we come back, I'm going to actually share something with you, even though I'm going to run the risk of raising a few people's blood pressure. Uh, it's an article from the American Institute for Economic Research. Lockdowners speak with privilege and contempt for the poor and working class. you got to hear this.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. I just want to mention that uh, one of my sponsors is Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. I would encourage you, if you are in or around the Salt Lake City area, maybe stop in and check this out for yourself. You can get directions by going to Facebook. I'll tell you, it's 2655 South, 1030 West, but uh, it's it's easier to get the directions from the Facebook page. And I'll just tell you, Nikki's. Is having a huge blowout sale on meat this week. Now, as a, as a person who kind of lives by his smoker, I love to drive my neighbors crazy by cooking something tantalizing every chance I get. This is speaking to me. Let me just run through a quick list here. Let's see, what we have New York slabs. These are great big slabs of New York steaks, seven ninety nine a pound. Flank steak to beef brisket, three ninety or three thirty nine a pound for brisket. 40 pound cases of foster farms, boneless, skinless chicken breasts. If you're a canner, that's a really good deal. 40 pounds for 45 bucks. Uh, Chicken thighs, fresh, not frozen, $65 for 40 pounds. There's something else here. Oh, yes. Pork loin, pork ribs. Huge tri-tip roast for $4.99 a pound. Now, here's the thing. If you're trying to stretch your your grocery buying dollar as far as it'll go, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse is the place to do it. Just check it out for yourself. Go to Facebook, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. It'll come up. Go do some business with them. Tell them, hey, Brian was talking about you. Couldn't resist. I'm thinking I'm going to have to plan a trip there there, in the the very near future because I'm getting some ideas. Oh, the things we could be smoking. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, where was I? Oh, yes. Uh, back to the show. <laughs> this is an interesting article from the American Institute for Economic Research. Janin Yonis is the uh, author. Lockdowners speak with privilege and contempt for the poor and working class. This is, is too long an article for me to share the whole thing, but I'm going to have it posted in the show notes. You can access it at the com. She's talking about the response that has cropped up to the Great Barrington Declaration signed last weekend and something, by the way, which I have actually logged on and I've signed it just as a member of the general public. I'm no health expert, but I care about my freedoms. I care about your freedoms. And so I've added my name to several hundred thousand other people who have signed in and said, yeah, I support this. And she points out here, the Great Barrington Declaration signed last weekend has unleashed a torrent of criticism. Now, this was to be expected since it conflicts with the public health prescription that has attained a religious-like status in many circles. Lockdowns and social distancing must be enforced in order to stop or slow the transmission of the coronavirus. Now, when you consider just about every heritage media source is 100% invested in that lockdown narrative... That's how they report. It's always more fear. Have some fear porn. No, have more. Look, this many cases. Oh, look, it looks like the hospital rooms are starting to fill up. Oh, no. What will happen? I mean, you want to talk about Chicken Little. I guess if there's a good side to this, it's that you no longer have to, to play nice, you know, with the, with the heritage media and say, there, there, you know, it's OK. You can you can just pretty much turn your back and walk away and nobody's going to fault you for doing so. Now, keep in mind, the authors of this great Barrington Declaration, three of the world's most renowned epidemiologists, urge a different approach than lockdowns and social distancing being strictly enforced. Those not vulnerable to severe illness or death from the virus, especially children and younger adults, should live as they did pre-March 2020. Doing so will, within a couple of months, generate herd immunity, allowing communities to return to relative normalcy. But to hear the lockdowners tell it, no, 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 this means lock grandma and grandpa up and kill them. That's all you really want to do because you care about money more than you care about people. Now, aside from the, you know, melodramatic grandstanding, that's not at all what they're saying. They're simply saying there's a better way to do this that still cares for and tries to protect the most vulnerable without making everybody else under virtual house arrest in the process. The overwhelming majority of condemnation the Declaration has received doesn't bear on the substance of its recommendations. Instead, it's these wild flights of fancies. The the critics accuse the primary signatories of having subversive right-wing economic agendas, particularly since the Declaration was created and signed at the American Institute for Economic Research, a think tank that pushes evidence-based economics and functioning markets. I used to have a particular pest who would follow me around and still does. He popped up on Twitter the other day, still follows me from place to place, um, just, you know, never building anything of his own, but only doing his best to try to kick down or scratch down what he can, you know, that somebody else has built. And, And his his most damning accusation that he could throw at me or anybody else is, well, this was something that was founded by the Koch brothers. I don't know if you remember, one of the Koch brothers actually passed away. I think it was earlier this year, might have been the end of last year. It's a bit of a blur right now. But this is a very wealthy pair of brothers who have been engaged in a number of different philanthropic activities. Now, they have supported a number of causes, and primarily conservative causes, you know, throughout the country and throughout the world. It's their money. So, you know, I don't really fault them for doing what they're going to do. And truth be told, I've worked in the nonprofit sector. And, uh, you know, as a fundraiser, as someone who was was trying to to find funds to support a nonprofit think tank, these are the kind of groups and, and foundations that I would reach out to. There's nothing nefarious about it. It's not about, uh, you know, we're taking over the world. And by the way, I understand, you know, there's the George Soros counterport, counterpoint, rather, or counterpart that, well, you know, George Soros is funding all of Antifa. I don't know. Maybe he is. I may not agree with the outcome, but it's his money. He can do do with it as he wants. The really dangerous thing to me is when officials uh, somehow turn a blind eye to what Antifa's doing, but... uh, Heaven forbid, you know, you go out for a jog on the beach and find yourself arrested, you know, for violating social distancing standards. Anyhow, I encourage you, read this article for yourself. Take a look at it and you will see that the the, the people who are trying their hardest to tear down this Great Barrington Declaration. They are not doing so from a standpoint of we have a better way. All they're trying to do is make you believe that it's BS and bad science. They're just trying to cast doubt. And I have to say this piece from the American Institute for Economic Research from uh, Janine Yunus is very, very good at debunking the debunkers. She really has done her homework. All right. I want to end on a positive note here. And I want to remind you that in all of the chaos going on around us, there is a place for respite. And it's so obvious you're going to think I'm joking when I tell you what it is. It's reading a good book. Annie Holmquist has a remarkable piece on intellectualtakeout.org. And she talks about how a friend remarked to her the other day, Annie, you know more about children's literature than anyone I've ever known. Now, Annie says, I rolled my eyes and laughingly denied the claim. Nonsense, I replied. I know someone who's far more knowledgeable about children's literature than I am. She was talking about a woman she calls the queen of old children's literature. And Annie Holmquist says, browsing her shelves arouses delightful remembrances of books I read as a child and had almost forgotten. She says, I indulged in this activity the other day, picking out several titles from the small bookstore she hosts in her house. And she says, as I chatted with the book queen, we engaged in a short discussion why these books were a cut above what we have today. She says, in my mind, the nostalgia that these 50 to 100 year old stories awaken isn't what makes them great, although it certainly is a fun benefit. She says the level of writing and vocabulary in these books is also a plus, but that's not the main reason either. Nor is it the unexpected plot twists which so surprise our postmodern sensibilities, dulled as they are by recycled movie plots redeemable only through an abundance of special effects. The heart and soul of these books is the honour and character they effortlessly impart and implant in one's mind. Now, she talks about a book that she recently discovered on uh, Project Gutenberg by 20th century author Grace Richmond. Now, she said she's read a number of Richmond stories before, but never explored The Second Violin, a book which she wrote in 1906. I'll let you explore the article for yourself to see what the book has to offer. But Annie Holmquist says, look, in a world that's increasingly careening out of control, I find my sense of rest or I find a certain sense of rest in digging out these old stories and indulging in them. And while I may be indulging myself, I'm also being challenged to strive toward a more virtuous standard of living. And she lists qualities like honesty, family, charity, work ethics, sacrifice. And she says those things don't come easy. It's hard to take responsibility, to think of yourself less and show love to others. But she reminds us that these are the qualities that once made our country and its people great. And if we want to return to that greatness, then she says perhaps we would be wise to give ourselves more of a glimpse into what we're missing in hopes of inspiring ourselves to live out the same qualities. She says looking for an easy place to start? Her recommendation is the three-volume set of Great Stories Remembered. See, I have a really hard time throwing away books or getting rid of books. And as I read her article, I realize that's why. Because I like to go back to those old books. There is something to be gained. So if you haven't tried that, you might want to give it a whirl. Maybe you'll find it to your liking.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.